Adam says I can preach for as long as I want. Eh? Just wanted to clarify up front. So guys, for those of you who don't know me again, my name is George F. Gower. F stands for fun. Um, and uh, I just want to clarify before we start, I'm not married to Kinsani with my child there. because She's not actually my wife. Okay. She, uh, my wife is uh, looking at home looking after my sick other daughter, Zoe. Okay, so I'm married to Phil. I've got two kids. My favorite, favorite uh, theological student is actually there, Olivia. Hey, Olivia? Yeah, no, she's good. She's good. She often critiques me what I've said. That's correct and incorrect after a preach. So, But um, the reason why that's important to introduce yourself <clears throat> is that to know that I'm married, to know that I have children, to know that I'm an elder. It's not just some like introduction. You know, often in the epistles it says Paul, um, you know, introduces himself uh, just like, you know, a son, a disciple, an apostle. The reason why we do that is because you need to know the person here and, and the context that they come from. And it's very important because... If that context wasn't important, we'd, we'd watch guys on YouTube. We would watch a preacher on YouTube. We have one YouTube channel for the whole church all around the world. But I just want to encourage you, like when you see, when you see Adam up here or when you see Anton up here, they are husbands first, then they are fathers second. And what they, what they say needs to equate to what they do, right? So when you see Adam and, and Anton's kids running around and they are lovely children and their wives are flourishing and growing, you know that what they're preaching and what they're doing is, is what they're living. Okay? Because it's easy to get up on a, on a YouTube channel and to like man of God stuff, fly suit, apparently Nike, uh, what's it? Air Force Ones. <clears throat> you wear your Air Force Ones and a suit and think, people think you're the man of God. It doesn't work that way. Okay. So that's what I am. <clears throat> and um, yeah, guys, I hope, I hope you accept me as like an uncle today. You know, you're part of a much bigger church and there's families all over the country, actually all over the world at a meeting this morning that also love Jesus, that also have the DNA of what God's doing and in Josh Jen. And it's, it's super exciting. So I'm going to come with a bit different this morning. I want to share some stories because I love the way that Jesus teaches. He often teaches through the kingdom of God is like, and he tells a parable. He doesn't just give you a hardcore theological statement. So Luke phoned me this week. My kid's sick. She's got a fever. Work's busy. He says, would you like to share in Brooklyn? And I kid you not, my heart was like, yes. Just not normal. Normally like, no, Luke, it's four days. What are you talking I need time, you know. And, um, and it's funny. The, the first thing that popped into my mind was when, do you guys remember when you were in Weinberg before you were planted out and all those prophetic words? <clears throat> and I just want to share a story from, from my side, how I link to Brooklyn in a funny way. And um, we were in that you know, city bowl. We came, we planted out, I think it was like three congregations, AM, Brooklyn, and Milton, Millies, yeah. And um, at that stage, Luke had said to me, hey, George, we feel like, you know, feel like there's something of eldership on you. Do you want to come to a few meetings and just sit in? I was like, yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. So I go and sit in a few meetings. And I was just blown away how much these people just love people. You, you know, I've been in meetings just watching, and some eldership meetings, like 80% of the time, is just talking about one person. And I was like, man, this is amazing. It's not about the brand. It's not about the mission. It's just about loving people. And I was just, my heart for the first time was softened towards ministry. And I was like, man, this is this was what's on my heart, you know. So we go to, we go to Weinberg. Brooklyn's being planted out. And um, that week, Luke says to me, okay, cool. So you're going to meet with like, Kim Miller. Um, you're going to have a Skype meeting with um, another one of the big elders. And then you're going to meet with Andrew Selly. And I was like, I thought I was just sitting on a meeting. It's like, whoa, like to slow the bus. I don't know if I'm ready for this stuff. And, and I've never, ever, ever wanted to preach or lead or do anything because I'm so scared of my flesh. I'm so scared that it about, becomes about me. And I never want it to be about me. And... Um, Anyway, so that, that's all happening. So in my heart, I'm just like, slow down. Just slow down. Let's just, let's take six months. Let's take a year. I don't need to write, I don't need this thing. Let's just, just wait it out. And we had the Brooklyn congregation, and um, they started saying, does anyone have a prophetic word for like Brooklyn or Milton? And this thing just welled up within me, this, this picture of a bow and arrows and how the young men of Brooklyn are going to be arrows that are sharpened and shot out and sent, you know? And I was like, and then all this like, self-doubt started coming through. I was like, no, I, I, oh, but, okay, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be that guy who's up front. I was like all confused. Next thing I looked to my side and Phil's like, I've got a prophetic word. She's off, man. She's at the front. I'm like, oh, okay. And um, <laughs> it's 
So I was like, oh, yeah, I've got something, but I've I, I got kids now. I've got Olivia. Olivia turns to me and she says, Dad, 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 I need a boo. I, need, I was like, oh, no, oh, oh, man. Okay, okay. So I go to the back of the, um, back of the hall and I'm in the toilet and I'm with my daughter. She's having a poo. Sorry, Liv. And, um, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, George, this is where you'll be in the kingdom if you don't heed my call. Okay, I'm calling you to be an elder. And he said to me, I don't need you. I don't need you to be an elder. I can use anyone. And if you miss this, I will, I will choose someone else. It's a privilege to serve my church. It's a privilege to be a part of my team. So if I call you, you run. And I was like, oh my word. And that was such a beautiful uh, picture, picture story for me where God was just like, George, you're going to miss it. If I call you, you run. So I just want, I wanted to share that because that picture um, of the bows and arrows, I want, to, I want to unpack that today. I want to unpack that for you guys. I want to remind you of that prophetic word that was spoken over Brooklyn. And um, yeah, so that's, that's why I want to share. And you know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but in, in my relationship with the Lord, sometimes the Lord speaks. And he says the most profound things, right? And you know what? Nine times out of ten, I actually don't know what they mean. <laughs> hey? Sometimes we get these prophetic words. You're like a bow and arrow, and you're like, yes, Lord, an arrow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when the last time you guys shot a bow and arrow. I don't think I've shot one since I was like six, you know? What does it mean? What does it look like? You know, the one day I was, I'm just going to share two stories from, from my own life. Um, I come from a, a family where my parents got divorced and um, I got to a stage where I found a, a godly woman and I was like, man, I think I could get married. I think, but I don't know. I don't know. I look around and I don't see marriages that are, are like really, like, are just not great, you know? And then I look at my own life and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't see marriage working that well. So I'm on the promenade, man. I'm praying my heart out. I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, marriage, you've, you've got to talk to me. I don't, what, I, what, I, what I see and what I know is two very different things. And I felt the Holy Spirit said to me, George, just as the oceans, the, the waves of the oceans are, so shall you be. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yes, Lord. Hmm. And I walked for about 20 minutes there, and I was like, Lord, I don't know what that means. That sounds beautiful, but I don't know what it means. Like, help me, you know? <laughs> and I thought, Holy Spirit, you know, he just popped a thought to my head. And the thought was, out of the book of Job, when God's rebuking Job, Job's like, Lord, what's going on? I don't know what's going on in my life. And God says, a bit like what Adam was saying, you know, were you, were you there when I held the, the oceans? Were you there when I measured out the mountains? Do you know whether I keep the hail? Do you know, do you know these things, Job? And Job's like, I don't know. I know nothing. You God, I'm not. And um, I felt like the Lord said to me then, George, if I say marriage is a good thing, irrespective of what you've seen, what you've experienced, and your own personal convictions, it doesn't matter. If I call marriage a good thing, it's a good thing. So you can sign up for it wholeheartedly in faith, not having ever really seen a good marriage. And I was like, oh, Lord. Oh. And I'll tell you guys, six months into marriage, I was making my wife tea. And I was like, this, this is what I was scared of. This, this like, you know, yeah. Anyway, so God's, God's amazing. Another, another, man, someone asked me about this the other day. Uh, I call it the winky theory. Just bear with me, yeah. bear with me. Listen in faith, guys. The winky theory was when I was dating my girlfriend, my now wife. I remember we had one moment where I was like, I don't know if this girl's got what I need. Eh? I don't know if she's like got what it takes for, for me, you know? We were watching a movie and I went to the loo and I was just praying. I was like, Lord, I don't know. And I felt like I was supposed to say, George, what is that? <laughs> it's personal, just bear with me. And I was like, Lord, it's, it, you know what it is? He's like, yeah, I gave that to you. And I was like, okay, Lord, I don't know what that means. Can you explain that to me, you know? And, um, I felt like the, the Holy Spirit was saying, I've shaped you physically as a man, but not just physically, right? I've shaped you emotionally and spiritually to lead and to be strong and to give. And there's a big misnomer in our culture currently is where men look for their strength in a woman. That's never how it's supposed to be, right? The way women are designed is that whatever you give them, they receive, they hold onto it, 
and they give back something way more profound and beautiful than you ever could have dreamt or imagined. Like my little girl there, I played a very little role in that little beautiful girl arriving. My wife did a lot of the work and the Holy Spirit did even more work putting the soul and the personality into that little person. And um, someone says, you know, if you give a, a wife a house, she turns into a home. If you give her food, she feeds the community, she makes meals. If you give her commitment and love, You'll, you'll breed community, you're right. So I, I share that um, winky theory just for the young men out there to know that our responsibility is to go to God. Our responsibility is to go to Him for our strength, Him for identity, Him for everything we need. We fight those battles by ourselves. When we win those battles, we come back and we pour out our strength to our community. We pour out our strength to our women. We don't look to them for our strength. We give our strength. Okay. So the reason why I share those things is that, um, you know, the Lord, the Lord wants relationship. And very often when he speaks to us, we hear, but we, we get into this function of like, okay, I'm going to go do now. I heard the Lord, I'm going to go do. But God wants relationship. You know, the, some of the scariest pieces of scripture for me is when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. Like, that's crazy. I, I okay, the Lord never knew you, his creation. Doesn't make any sense, right? The God of heaven who created everything, predestined, knew you before the foundations of the world, he doesn't know you? Shouldn't it be the other way around? But get, depart from me, you never knew me. You didn't take the time to read your Bible to know me? No? You see, and the thing is, the reason why he, he can say that he never knew you is because some people will never open up their hearts to him. Some people won't share their life with him. Some people won't seek friendship with him. You know, I was listening to Andrew Sell the other day, you're saying God walked with Enoch and he so loved his walk with Enoch that he just took Enoch up with him. He said, Enoch, you know what? Just come. Just bypass the whole death thing. I want to just take you with me, you know? Isn't that amazing? And, and what was God's favorite thing to do with Adam and Eve? Walk in the Garden of, of Eden. Go for a lacquer walk together. What do I do with my wife? Hey, if I have a spare afternoon, we do admin. No, I'm joking. Don't do admin. We, do, we go for a walk, eh? We spend time together. I remember listening to my boss talk the other day. He was talking to a friend of his and he said, um, what are you doing? He said, no, she, she just said, no, I'm just busy. I'm not doing anything. I'm wasting time with my husband. He was like, what? You don't waste time with your husband. It's an investment. Even just being with your, your spouse is a beautiful time of soaking and enjoying community and friendship. So I just want to encourage us that when God does speak to you, right? When he does give you, even, even corporately as a prophetic word, it's it's good to take it back to him and say, Lord, show me. Lord, show me. What did you mean? Because there's far more to unpack in that than we actually realize. Someone once said, you know, I don't think it was, I forget if it was Mark Davies, but he said, you know, people can know, for example, you know Mandela? Like, you actually knew him. You hung with a guy. Madiba, you and Madiba, you were tat. You were friends with his brother's cousin's nephew, and you got in, you were there for Christmas. You got to hear the stories. You got to hear all the lacquer. You know, you could tell his candor when he's about to deliver a joke. You really knew him. Or you knew a lot about him, right? You read his Wikipedia page. You know, you can, you can get facts, man. You can spit facts all day. You did this, 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 and this. And that's the danger sometimes as Christians. We can know a lot about the Lord, but not really know him. Okay. All right. Okay, guys. So for those of you who weren't at the Brooklyn um, time, you might be saying, George, what prophetic word? What are you talking about? And there was a prophetic word given, I flip what I didn't tell you, is where well, I had this prophetic word burning on my heart. Someone else got up and gave this prophetic word about a bow and arrow, and I was like, no, oh, but that, that's, oh, that's amazing, you know? And God confirmed and saying, well, if you don't want to give it, I'll give it to someone else to give to them. And um, that's why I'm so excited for this morning, because I get to redeem myself. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to read Psalm 127, Kev Dog. Verses 3 to 5. While Kevin's looking up the scriptures, I'm going to quote a few scriptures and then go into Samuel a bit later, but the, the prophetic uh, picture was that Brooklyn was going to have these, the men, specifically the men of Brooklyn, are going to be these arrows that the Lord's going to fashion and sharp. He's going to shoot them out. And, um, and I just want to unpack that by using the scriptures and what I feel for Brooklyn. Beautiful. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. It's okay. 
I'll, I'll try to speed up. Are the sons born of one's youth? Verse 4. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with the enemies at the gate. So there's a beautiful picture of what children look like. And the reason, the reason why um, children are such a blessing is that the father is the one who, the, well, the parents, right? They're the bow. The children are the arrows, and they get shot out. And um, it's very similar to what we're going to unpack for, uh, for Brooklyn, is that God is the archer, right? He's a skillful one. Your, your leaders are the bow. And I'm gonna, it's not an exhaustive analogy, but it works. And you guys are the arrows. Okay. Just interest, out of interest, the, the, sorry. <clears throat> one of the interesting things is that the reason why it says children born of one's youth is that it's amazing. Like if you have kids when you're ready to be young, by the time you get old, your children are full grown and they actually, they're strong and can actually look after you. You see that in many different cultures where the kids actually form a great community and look after the old ones. Where in Caucasian culture, we sometimes like chilled, man. We have kids when we like lank old. And by the time the kids are, you know, got their own jobs and income, we, we like retired by 40 years. So I just want to encourage you. There's nothing wrong with having kids early, as long as you're married. Okay. There's steps that you have to follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Christoph, take notes, huh? Okay. Kevin, can you get Psalm 78 out versus 56-57? So I want to unpack, there's, there's basically two aspects to this, this preach this morning. One is the bow, and the other one is the arrow. Yeah, Psalm 78 verses 56-57. Cool, there we go. Sometimes in life it's good to start with a negative. Watch this. And they put, the God, they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep His statutes. Like their fathers, they were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. Now imagine the opposite. Imagine it said that they obeyed God, honoring the Most High. They kept His laws and statutes. Unlike their fathers, they were loyal and full of faith, reliable as a well-worn battle bow. Eh? Guys, how many of us come from families where you had a, your, your real dad was in your home right up until you left the house? How many of you? Okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing, eh? It's amazing. Like, we grow up in cultures where, where our dads aren't around. Okay. And, and if, if, if we don't seek the Lord and open our lives and let the Word of God change us, we can end up, like that scripture says, and just like their fathers, they were disloyal and faithless. Yeah. We've, we've got a DNA, we've got physical DNA, right? We've also, we also get a spiritual inheritance from, from wherever you grow. You if you don't realize it or not, you've got inheritance, right? And you can join a family of believers and you can actually change your spiritual inheritance, okay? You can get adopted, like Adam was saying, into this family and you can submit your life under amazing leaders, and that can actually start to change your inheritance, and can actually start changing your destiny, that you get plugged into a spiritual family other than the one you were, you were first planted in. And guys, that's, that's my story, man. I tell you, the Lord has put people in my life who have fathered me, who have taught me how to love the Word, how to read the Bible, how to operate gifts, how to love, and it hasn't come necessarily through the natural channels. It's been through to the church and the, and the family that he's put me in. Okay. Psalm 78, verses 70. Goes a little bit on. This is a, it's actually a, such a beautiful psalm, but um, for the sake of time, I'll just read portions of it. <clears throat> okay, so you got to the end of the psalm now. It says, He chose David, his servant, and took, from him, uh, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be shepherd of the people of Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And it carries on, it says, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he, he led them. And um, that, that thing stood out to me, that integrity of heart and skillful hands. Sometimes we we just all about heart and we forget the skill that comes with with leading God's people and um, Guys, I just want to stand here and say You guys are blessed and eh? this these eldership 
God, families that, that God has placed here are beautiful, beautiful examples of people with integrity of heart and skillful hands. And I just want to say that from an external, I'm not, I'm not getting a tithe offering here today to, to say this. The, these guys are, are, I just want to honor them. They are just so, one, I don't have words actually, they're so wonderful and so full of love. And they, I've watched Adam. Like I remember, um, I remember I was in community with Adam a couple of years ago. And uh, I remember we were in this community and there was a guy who Adam just persistently, he had prophetic words for him, he prayed for him. And a little part of me was like, geez, Adam, I'm also here, bro. I wouldn't mind a little bit of prayer, a little bit of something, you know? And he, Adam was like just locked in this oak's eyes and he just kept like just with like a dogged intent, you know? And then it was like two months later, that guy actually left church. He just escaped and disappeared. And I look back retrospectively like, Adam, Adam was operating with integrity of heart. He was listening to what the Holy Spirit was calling him to do. And he didn't, he didn't try to be fair and try like love other people. He was like this one person and he pursued him wholeheartedly. And only in a couple months later, I realized like, no, what he was doing was actually the most loving, godly thing. We pursued that one guy that God put in his heart. And um, yeah, so I just want to honor, honor Adam and Anton and family publicly to say you guys have um, skill, Leaders with integrity of heart and skillful hands. Okay. There's a, I'm just going to read it here. 1 Samuel 31 verse 3. A skillful archer with a sharp arrow. Oh, wait, maybe we should read it actually. Sorry, that's my notes. Um, the battle, battle became fierce uh, against Saul. The archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. You know, it's... it's a skillful archer with a single arrow can take out a king on a, on a mount. Saul was in battle with the Philistines, and he, the, the prophet had told him, like, Saul, you're actually not going to make it. And um, the Philistines, the reason why they were so dominant militarily was because they actually had archers, where most other civilizations at that stage didn't have archers. In uh, 2 Samuel 18, David actually prays a prayer over the mourning ceremony of Saul and actually talks about how there's the, he talks of the lament of the bow. And some scholars seem to think that what, why it's called the lament of the bow is that um, David actually then took, he took the technology of a compound bow and actually brought it into the tribe of the Benjamites and he created a whole sort of tribe of archers because he knew that that was a secret to actually dominate in battle. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's important to know that one archer and you don't know the archer's name, but he took out a king, right? He took out a king, and um, yeah, that's amazing. That changed the entire trajectory of Israel to this day. It, Saul was taken out, David eventually became king. The entire nation's destiny was changed because of one archer and one arrow. So when we talk about bows and arrows this morning, it's not child's play, it's profound. Like there is something immensely exciting about it and um, you know you get two types of bows you get your standard bow and arrow which is just a piece of wood that's bent with a, with a twine and you also get something called a compound bow and a compound bow is uh, different materials are laminated together and I don't know if you guys have seen these days the kind of bows these guys have is incredible it's got a compound bow they've got wheels and cogs and things and things that stick out and uh, I've seen I've seen guys hunt like giant animal with these compound bows and actually take them down with a single arrow today like um, for culling it's not for hunting just for culling to keep numbers down and um, and I just want to say like the way we do church is like that compound bow it's not a single you get that man of God where sometimes there's a single man of God and what he says goes and the way we do church is we have a group we have a whole team of elders there's yes there's a lead elder but you even have external elders that can come in and say Give, give their perspective on what's happening in a church. So I just want to say, when it comes to bows, I just, I'm not going to boast, but I, I think we've got some of the best bows in the country, you know, in terms of how we do church. And that, that means it's a safe place for you guys. It's exciting, man. Okay, and something that stood out to me was, so, okay, your leaders are your bows, but you know, man, sometimes the, lead, the leaders are going to bend that bow backwards, right? You the arrow, pull the string backwards, and um, it, you're going to feel like you're the arrow and you're like, yeah, I've got God's call. I want to do all the things that God's called me to. 
And your leaders are going to sometimes step you back. Sometimes going to say things to you that you're like, that, that, that's not, not going to grow me. And um, I want to share a story. I remember we were actually talking about it in a deacon's meeting the other day. <clears throat> Christine Collibrand, she was saying she came to visit City Bowl uh, the one day, and it was the same day where Anton, Anton stepped down off the deacon team. And I remember Anton, he gets up, he's like, guys, I'm, gonna, I'm stepping off the deacon team, and I don't know why. My elders think it's a good idea, and my wife thinks it's a good idea. I don't see it yet, but I'm going to trust them because maybe it's a blind spot. And I'm just going to just trust that something, something's happening here, you know? And Christine Conrad was sharing with us, she was saying that's the reason why she stayed actually in City Bowl. She's like, wow, there's something, there's something amazing here. That there's no striving or fighting for position. Anton was very happy to trust his leaders, to trust those around him, to look what looked like being a demotion um, on the outside, but it was actually in the spirit a bit of a promotion because it took him out. It was healing. And look at him now. There's been restoration, and we celebrate the fact that he's on eldership and pumping and doing everything God's called him to. And I mean, it's a side story, but you know, Christine is marrying Ruan, who grew up without a dad. And it's just like, like, even when you submit to what God's doing through elders, like that's one story. Like I could argue that there's a couple that is gonna get married that will have children, and their children will have children, and their children will have children, potentially because God used what Anton did there, because he chose to submit to leadership. He chose to humble himself. He chose to allow his leaders to, to do surgery on him, even though he knows it's sore. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So I just want to encourage you. There are going to be times when your leaders are going to say to you, you can't marry this girl, right? She's not a Christian. Okay. You guys have nothing in common. Yes, she's beautiful. No, she's not good for you. Okay. And it's going to feel like they hate you. Okay. They don't hate you. All right. They love you and they want the best for you. So I just want to say, just submit to that process, guys. Submit to that, because you're not just submitting to them. You're actually submitting to the Lord himself. Okay. Right. That's to get to the arrow. So the arrows, this is the juicy part, guys. Kev, can you put up 1 Samuel 17, please, from verse 16? So I shared this in Com the other day, and I want to just, I want to expound upon it today a little bit. So 1 Samuel 17 is basically the story of David and Goliath. It's this epic battle, right? Sometimes what preachers do is they'll take the story of David and Goliath and they'll try and unpack it. There's, there's two ways of looking at Scripture. There's the um, etymology of Scripture, which is what did that mean back then? And there's the exe exegesis, which is like what does that mean for us now? So there's the two lenses you look at the Scriptures, okay? What did it mean then? Because the context is super important. And then the other one, the exegesis, is well, how's that, how does David and Goliath speak to me a couple of thousand years ago, right? Okay. So um, <clears throat> the portion of scripture I'm going to read is actually the lead up. So I find it fascinating that this scripture has been captured for thousands of years, and this is David's journey just to get to the battlefield. He, he hasn't fought David, I mean Goliath yet, so just get to the battlefield, right? Kevin, can you actually bring up 16 to... 20 or 30, 16 to 30. I was going to read the chunk and then we'll just unpack it. Is that okay? 16 to 30. Hey? Uh, uh, chapter 17, verses 16 to 30. Awesome, I believe. Uh, okay, cool. Perfect. Shot. So for 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Oh, the Philistine. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring them back some assurance from, some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, with a shepherd loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as his army was going as the army was going out to his battle positions, shouting their war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle, battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. 
When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He keeps coming out to defy, or he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father, his father's family from taxes in Israel. Which if you're old is a big thing. Taxes, eh? Whew. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him that what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for him, for the man who kills him. Then Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter as, and the men answered him as before. Okay, yeah, that's great. And then he went to go talk to Saul. Um, so I just want to unpack from verse 16. So 40, um, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. It, it, some of these details are seem innocuous. They seem like it doesn't really matter, but it's amazing. Eh? That thing of 40 days is very strategic or symbolic. You know, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days uh, being tempted. Um, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. That, so that number in 40 is um, symbolic of being humbled um, and allowing God to humble his people. So wherever you see the number 40 in the Bible, actually it means something, generally by being humbled in humility. Okay, verse 17. So when I'm saying these things, I'm actually talking about the arrow side. I'm trying to get some handles out here for, for the, you guys in the congregation, just for the clarity. So an ephah was about 35 kgs. So Jesse said, take, take all this dried grain, and these 10 loaves of bread. In 2 Corinthians 9.10, it says, uh, like a good father, God always gives seed and f uh, seed for the sower and food for the now. And Jesse was a good dad. He didn't know how long the battle was going to go. So what he did is he gave 35 kgs of dry grain so that he knew his boys could make bread if and when they needed it. But they also gave 10 loaves of bread for the now because he didn't know they could have gone to battle that day. Okay. And that, that, that's encouraging for me because God gives us seed and bread. And it's very important to know that because sometimes when God gives you something, we eat it. Okay? We, we assume it's bread. We assume it's all to be consumed now. But what God does is he actually, and um, yeah, he expects us to discern what is seed for the future and what is bread for the now. Okay. Verse 18, take along 10 cheeses the commander of their unit. Eh? I call this the commander's cheese. <laughs> when I read this, guys, I was like, okay, what's, what's, what's going on? Like, but um, man, in Matthew 10, verse 16, it says, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst the wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. You know, as Christians, we're very good at being as innocent as doves. Very good at being gentle. We're very, like, we're okay with not saying the wrong thing, doing the right thing. But I want to encourage us. There's sometimes we, we need to be as shrewd as serpents in the kingdom. Okay. Do you know why he gave 10, 10 cheese wheels to the commander of the unit? Okay. Because for favor, he knew that the commander of those thousand men, he could decide who got sent where. And, and Jesse loved his sons. Okay. His three oldest sons, he wanted the best for them. And he knew that if, if he blessed the commander with 10 cheese wheels, his finest cheese, there's a good chance that things might go well for his son. Okay. So you could argue that that looks like bribery and corruption, potentially. But um, I just want to say that there is, there is something, um, it all comes down to the heart. If you're, trying to, if you're trying to buy your way, if you're trying to corrupt, if you want to give Adam a, a new 4x4, you know, check your heart. Just make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons there. Um, yeah, so it's going to come up a bit later, but that, that 
yeah, uh, it's going to come up later. Cool. That's verse 10. Verse 19. Verse 19. And they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. But I just keep thinking to myself, like, why does God allow that to be put in Scripture? Where's, I don't, where's the valley of Elah? Does it matter? Does it matter where the valley of Elah is? No, I don't know. I don't know where the valley of Elah is. But that's recorded in God's holy word for eternity. And what I find so significant there is that the whole city, the all of Israel, knew exactly where the battle is. You know, sometimes as, as disciples in the modern times, we're fighting so many different battles that we don't actually know where our battle is. We don't know where we're supposed to be. We're fighting, sometimes we actually fight other people's battles. That when it comes to our own battle, we, we're too tired to even fight. So I just want to encourage you to keep your ears to the ground. Listen to your leaders. When they say, guys, the battle is, the battle is for masculinity and culture or gender blurring or whatever, LGBTQ stuff, that stuff's going to kill you. You need to know that your, your leaders can see where the battlefield is. They know where the fight is. And it's important for you to be aligned. You don't want to be fighting on the wrong battlefield, taking arrows that you don't need to take. Okay, verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as, as the army was going out into its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So how's that? Early in the morning he rose. Eh? He was diligent. He rose early in the morning. He didn't sleep in. There's times to sleep in, but when it counts, he was up early. He left the sheep with a keeper. You know, he could have said, I'm off. I've got something far more important to do. I'm going to leave the sheep in a pen. They'll be fine. He didn't. He delegated his little responsibility he had. Even later, his brother mocks him. He says, where, is the, where are your sheep in the desert, man? What are you doing? You know, but he didn't, he didn't despise them as little sheep in the desert. He looked after them. He made sure someone else was looking after them. The things that God trusts you with in your life, the little sheep, the little things that you're responsible for, how diligent are we with them? Do we drop them when we feel God calling us to bigger things? Are we diligent with our jobs? Are we diligent with our money? Do we treat the people, the little people in our lives with respect and dignity the same way God treats us? He loaded up, uh, just go back there, sorry. He loaded up and set out as Jesse has directed. He didn't forget one thing. He knew the list that Jesse called him, all the things that Jesse asked him to take and um, he took them, all of them. Okay. It's the same way often people say that um, delayed obedience is actually disobedience. If you feel God calling you to something, don't, don't do a half job. You, you, know, you know Saul, King Saul. Do you know what displeased God the most with him? He said, go take out that whole nation. I want everything, right? Saul comes back with plunder. God's like, what have you done? I asked you to take out everything. Yeah, I just took the sheep. Just a few ah, it's a great sheep, you know? And God said, what did I ask you to do? I asked you to kill everything. Saul didn't listen. So partial disobedience. Partial obedience is actually disobedience. And I just want to bring something, uh, this is contextual for where we are at the moment, but I don't know if you guys, this rising up early and being diligent with what's being given to us. Do, do you guys, have you guys heard of the, th the rise of the three-day weekend that's now being propagated? There's this, new, there's this new thing that's coming out in Europe, right? They're trying to push for a three-day weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hey? This is a test, guys. I want to see if he's like, oh, hey, man, yeah. <laughs> and that sounds amazing at first, right? Who knows why we have a two-day weekend? Why, why, why do we even have two days off currently? Does anyone know? Hey? So, so six days, God created the world. On the seventh day, he rested. Okay, the Sabbath was actually on the Saturday. I think the Jewish, the Jewish people, they celebrate the, the Shabbos on the Saturday, right? When, when the disciples of Jesus, they try, they try to go like, okay, God called us to, to keep one day holy. It's a bit awkward if we celebrate on the same day because we don't want to get confused with the Jews. So let's make it Sunday. Okay? So what happened, the reason why we have a two-day weekend, the reason why you can, you can be grateful you had yesterday off was because of the Jewish people, Israel. And the reason we have off today is today is actually the Lord's Day. It's a day that God says, rest, do things that fill you up, spend time with my people. So the only reason we have, even have two days off 
it's because of Jesus. You can thank him. Long ago, it would have been just one day, hey? Yeah, just be grateful. And, um, and I just wanted to say, what, what's God's blueprint for rest? You know, are we called to rest for three days? Is that something that God called us to? Or has he called us to work and labor for him, for his glory? Because if, if human, human um, comfort is our primary goal, we're going to celebrate the rise of a three-day weekend. But I'm telling you guys, there's something called the Protestant Reformation. One of the reasons why most Western countries today are economically very successful is because people took the idea of work and did it unto God's glory. And they worked hard. And they didn't do it because there was a prophet or the shareholders wanted something. They did it because the chair they designed, there's a movement called the Shakers, very often, if you go into a house, they'll have shaker-style kitchens. And that style is like 200 years old. And the reason why it's old is because they, whatever they did, they did it unto the glory of God. And that hasn't weathered. It hasn't gone out of style to this day. It's a beautiful kitchen style and furniture, just for those who like furniture. So, um, yeah, so I just want to encourage you that the thing of rising early and working hard, we do those things unto the Lord. We don't do it for our own our own glory, or even for money. Okay, verse 22. <clears throat> um, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brother. Man, I love that, eh? David left his things with the keeper of supplies. With all the, with all the excitement going on, you could have done very well just to leave the cheeses under the tree. I mean, you could have just dropped the cheese off and gone to see all the... All the, like, it must be epic to see his battle lines drawn up. But he didn't. He was diligent. And you know what's ironic is that actually De Goliath died that same day. It's like all these supplies to houses. So God put so much effort into capturing like 35 kgs of dry goods, 10 loaves of bread, 10 cheeses. Like do this, wake up early. Guess what? It wasn't necessary. Goliath would be, by that evening, Goliath was dead. Right? Yet God, in his wisdom, chose to keep that into the scriptures. For me, it just blows my mind. Okay, verse 26 to 30. So, for me, this is amazing. I, I said it in common the other day. I thought David was going around asking all these people, like, what did they say? What did they say? Because I thought he was actually trying to encourage the soldiers to fight. When I first read it, I thought that. He was actually trying to get the men who were all downcast because this giant comes out, he's like nine foot tall, his javelin weighs as much as I am, and like these oaks are scricking. They're like, I don't know, how am I going to get this oak? And I thought David kept asking the people to try and encourage them to go fight. But what I realized actually in studying it a bit more is that um, David was actually seeking out. He was like, I, I, what? So you're going to get a wife? You're going to get tax exemption for the rest of your life? Goods, honor, glory? Hang on. <laughs> Ask someone else, are you sure? Is this is a good deal. This is really a good deal. Okay. Guys, I think I can do that. And you, you know, you know why that's beautiful? Is his brother comes in, he says, he says to him, I know you, David. I know your heart. You deceitful. Look at you. You just come here to see the blood and glory and guts and flip, you know? And and all David said was, Am I not allowed to speak? He didn't fight him. He didn't try to maintain his honor or whatever. He just said, Am I not allowed to talk? And um, I just want to say, especially for the young men, David was seeking out glory, okay? He was seeking leadership. There's nothing wrong with seeking to lead, seeking to preach, seeking to be a husband, seeking to, to start your own business, all those amazing things that God calls us to. If your heart is ultimately for his kingdom, okay? David, David was primarily offended by these Philistines, speaking badly against the God of, of heaven and earth and was willing to put his, put his name out there. Okay. David also fought the lion and the bear. He fought, he fought the lion and the bear by himself. No one else was watching. And um, that allowed him to fight Goliath. And I just want to say for all of those here today, if, if David didn't fight the lion, okay, he, David could have been just in saying, it's just one sheep. It's just one sheep. Eh? We were with, um, at a meeting on Friday night, and Andrew Selly was talking about how in 20 years of ministry, he's lost about six or seven elders. And I was like, well, that's pretty good going. I, think it's, I mean, statistically, it's not a bad pass rate, you know? But what, what he was talking about was how in his heart, if he had been gentler, if he had listened more, 
could he have could he have brought back or kept even just one and i was just blown away that um he would consider the walk of just one person over 20 years of ministry to be that important to have 300 people in a room to talk to him about that and um and i just want to say guys if it's <laughs> I was with Rihanna on Friday night and he walked out of the petrol station. He didn't pay for his ice cream. And he went back and he paid for his ice cream. And everyone inside was like, what are you doing? Like, who does that? You know, It's just an ice cream. But it's, it's not. It's mu- there's a much bigger principle of pay, play here. Is that are you diligent with the little things? Are you faithful with the small things? Right? If you, see, if you see one sheep going astray, if you see one thing in your life that's off, when, when you're on TikTok, Looking at these oaks in the front here. And you see one feed and the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, Mm-mm, that's not for you. What do you do? Do you just, you just like, ah, keep screwing, whatever. Or, or do you fight those battles in that moment? Do you listen to what the Holy Spirit's prompting you? Okay. Because if you do, God's got bigger fights for you. Fights that can change the destiny of nations or families. Okay. I'm coming into land, guys. You still with me? I'm not even looking at my watch. This is very exciting. Eh? I hope you guys find it exciting. Okay, so the, the, the arrow is a, is a living, well, it's a, it's a paradox of design. And uh, the front of the arrow, you've got this tip, the steel iron tip that's super sharp. And the end, you've got fletching. Fletching is soft feathers. And without the two, it doesn't work. Okay. And I just want to encourage you guys that the, the, for the tip of the arrow, you know, God will take that iron ore. He takes the raw things. He takes... You know what iron ore looks like, eh? It's sand, okay? It's a sand with bits of iron in it. But what he does, he, he puts it into the furnace and he melts away everything that is not iron, okay? And, what, and all the impurities. Then he uses life to shape us. And it's, and, it's, and it's that process which allows the raw material for God to carve into this beautiful arrow tip. But what always gets most people is the quenching process. Um, when metal is quenched, it's, you heat it up in the furnace and you dip it in cold water immediately. And that shocking process hardens the steel. Um, and God does that. You'll find in life, sometimes you feel like you're a mature Christian. You got this, you get married. You're like, man, um, I've, I've been through this so many times. And you know what happens? You, you have a relapse of something. You're like, how am I still struggling with this? But what God's doing is he's quenching you. He takes you from the furnace, he dips you in the cold water and he quenches that. But it's for your good. Okay. And that arrow tip will get sharpened, and there'll be more sharpening, and more sharpening. And as you get older, you get sharpened again, and you continue to get sharpened. So don't get offended when you get sharpened. Okay. The fletching, which is the, which is the feathers at the end of the bow, is amazing. It's, that bow will not fly straight if you don't have those feathers at the end. You know what I'm talking about, hey? The feathers at the end, will, the thing will not fly straight. It's going to tumble. It's going to flip around. And... Think of the contrast between sharp iron and soft feathers. You need the soft feathers for the sharp iron. You with me? I remember saying to a friend once, he, I love him to bits, and he was just all about like, God, just the presence of God and the glory of God, and just like, ah, and I was like, yes, bro, it's so wonderful. But, but the pot, the terracotta pot that you're in is what God wants to deal with. He wants to, he wants to crack the pot because your roots get all bound up. He wants to crack that pot open and he wants to transplant you into a bigger pot. And how many of you know when the potter creates a pot for you, it's messy and it's hard, right? He takes that pot, he puts it in the furnace, he makes it bigger, transplant, his movement, your roots are exposed, you feel naked. He puts you in the, in the new pot, he puts potting soil and he wets you, right? And um, that's, that's what the fletching on an arrow is like, is the soft things. God will sometimes deal with you in the soft areas. It could be your personality, it could be your demeanor, it could be just character stuff you know often it's like you just can't be late for a meeting you're like oh but it's just it's just a, it's not a big thing it is a big thing and god's going to deal with those things so that he can send you out and shoot you forward okay what's interesting with archers <clears throat> is that they're very skilled and archery is for basically long-range warfare you get the javelin and the spear which is for medium medium warfare and then the sword for close combat that's why the Zulus, the Zulu nation was so profoundly successful. It was called they had the, they had a spear, but they broke. Shaka Zulu actually broke that spear and made a isinkwa, I think is what it's called, because of this noise it made when you. And um, so the reason why the Zulus were so profoundly successful was most other tribes would chuck their spears, 
Um, and then, but once your spear is gone, it's, it's gone, eh? You just got your, your shield. So what the Zulus would do is they would, the other tribes would throw and then they would use their, their shields to pull away and then use their stabbing spear. And that, that's infinite, infinite amount of ammo in that guy, eh? And they would just decimate other tribes. That's just interesting. It's interesting. Um, so the reason why I tell you that is that um, the sword of the spirit is used for close combat. When Satan's attacking you and you're feeling oppressed, that's why you get your sword out. But archery is beautiful because it's long range. The reason why I say it's long range is because the archers make it, they, they ease the burden for the cavalry, the guys with lances and, and, and javelins, and they also ease the burden for the foot soldier. What, what old armies would do is there would be a massive volley of arrows which would just decimate the lines and then other guys would go through. And the reason why that's profound is because every, every arrow that's going to be shot from Brooklyn, every archer that gets raised up here to allow more arrows to be shot out is going to, is going to take ground for the kingdom, is going to win battles for someone else. And I just want to say that if, if you allow, if you're here today and you're going to allow your arrow to be sharpened by these, this leadership team, if you allow yourself to be subjected to some fletching and some straightening and some stuff, What's going to happen? And, and, and the reason why I say that is because you have to allow it. Okay. The only person who's going to steal from your destiny is you. Okay. No angel, no demon, no church movement can stop what God's going to do in and through you guys. But you can. If you do not yield the process of God's growth and God's encouragement and God's uh, what he's doing in and through you in this church, you will, not, you will stop what God is doing. And what I want to say is that every victory you win, and every, every bit of ground that you take is not just for you. Okay. In, in, my, in my family, my family is full of divorces there, full of divorces. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, in my generation, I want to be different. I want to be that L-shaped elbow bend so that my children grow up and have very, very healthy marriages. And I want to say today, no matter where you've grown up, no matter where you are, no matter how your family life looks, if you've been abused, none of it matters, guys. The victories that God has for you in community your children's children's children are going to walk in that if you allow it. Okay. Amazing. I want to just land with this one scripture, Matthew 16, verse 18. Kev, can you put, put up for us, please? Matthew 18, verse 16. Verse, chapter 16, verse 18. This is the last one, guys, I promise there. Yeah. It. <clears throat> and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Guys, well, Je Jesus is talking to Peter there, but he's, uh, uh, there's a bit of confusion. Sometimes I think he's talking about Peter, but I think he's actually talking about himself, the rock of Jesus. You know, in the book of Daniel, it speaks about a, a rock not cut of human hands crashing into the earth, and that rock slowly becoming a giant mountain, filling the whole earth. Isn't that amazing? And the gates of Hades won't prevail. Do you, do you guys know that gates don't, aren't on wheels? The gates of hell are in a fixed position. Okay? When Jesus is saying the gates of hell won't prevail, he's saying his church, his church is going to fill the whole earth right up until the point it gets to the gates of hell. Hey? Isn't that incredible? And we get to be a part of that, guys. We get to be a part of Jesus' church that is filling the whole earth from ever-increasing glory to ever-increasing glory. And even the gates of hell won't prevail.